Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study His words and His commands. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to study Bible history because when we go back and look at what happened to the people of God, how they behaved, how they acted, we can learn lessons from their life. And so through their experiences, we know what we can do and what we can improve upon. And so studying Samson and Delilah, like everything that we do in the Bible History Project, often gives us opportunity to make positive changes in our life. Now, when we look at Samson and Delilah, we know that Samson was a person who was from the very beginning, from his very birth, his purpose was basically to overcome the Philistines. That was the purpose of his pulling to become a Nazarite. Unfortunately, based on what we've studied so far about the life of Samson, he kind of wasted his calling. He wasted the strength that Jehovah God had given him. And so we're going to learn today how he virtually gave up everything he had because of his foolishness. Now, when he was given strength, and the strength he possessed is superhuman strength, he was a person who we can call perhaps a superhero because of the strength he possessed. And so because of his strength, the way he acted his life, he basically did whatever he wanted. He sees a woman he likes. He tells his parents, give that girl to me. He does whatever he thinks about. And he has basically no boundaries. So whatever he wants, he does. Some people like to have that kind of freedom. But when you really look at the life of Samson, although he was able to do whatever he wanted because of his physical strength, in truth, he was not free at all. As a matter of fact, he was actually a slave, a slave to his passions. And so he did not really have inner strength. He had physical strength. But if you do not couple your physical strength with inner strength, it's going to lead to a downward, downward spiral of destruction. And so to illustrate uh, Samson's inability to control his inner emotions and inner person, we know he was given way. He always gave way to his passions, including anger. And so he was able to arrange a marriage with a Philistine woman. But on the seventh day, because he was so angry, he did not show up. And so the marriage was not consummated. He was angry. He goes back home to his parents' house. So they never really got to consummate the marriage. But after a while, what does Samson begin to do? Well, let's read the book of Judges 15, 1 and 2. Later on, during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. He said, I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her consummate the marriage but her father wouldn't let him in i truly thought you must hate her her father explained so i gave her in marriage to your best man but look her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is marry her instead so here samson kind of changes his mind i missed that woman that i was supposed to marry so he goes back he brings a goat to present to his wife and when he goes there, he finds out that his wife was already given to his best man. It was too late. And the father says to Samson, why don't you marry her younger sister, who's more beautiful 
than her. And so what was the reaction of Samson? Samson said, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. Then he went out and caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and lit the lit, let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all the grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. And so how does Samson react to the news that he can no longer have as a wife for himself, the person that he fell in love with? Well, he acted out of anger. And in his anger, he says he's going to destroy the Philistines. And so what does he do? He goes out and catches 300 foxes. Now, the translation in English is fox, but the Hebrew word is better translated jackals. And this would make sense because foxes, they kind of travel alone. And so it's kind of, it's going to be very difficult for him, no matter how strong he is, to kind of gather 300 foxes. But jackals come in packs. And so it would be easier to gather 300, uh, 300 jackals to do what he intended to do, which was to fasten a torch to each pair of tails. And then he let them go through the grain fields to destroy them, to destroy the vineyards and the olive groves. Remember, for the people during that time, the land produced their wealth. And so if after Samson does this, it would severely impair their economic output. It would bring them to the verge of collapse economically and to poverty. And so in this way, he destroyed the lives of many Philistines. And so when the Philistines heard about this, what did they do? Who did this? The Philistines demanded. Samson was the reply because his father-in-law from Timnah gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man. So the Philistines went and got the woman and her father burned them to death. Imagine that. You know, this tells you that when it comes to sin, it always is connected to destruction. Wherever there is sin, destruction follows. Sin doesn't bring destruction immediately, but eventually, if it's not contained, if it's not controlled, if it's not repented for, it's going to lead to destruction. When you commit sin, it leads to the harvest of death and destruction. So this is what happened to uh, the, the wife, supposedly the wife-to-be of Samson together with her father. And what did Samson do when he found out about this? Let's read Judges 15, 7 to 8. Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. And he went to live in a cave in the rock of Etam. And so what we have here is one person or one party attacks the other person, the other party acts in revenge. It's a back and forth, right? And so... This was the situation with Samson and the Philistines. He acted out of anger, but he had a good excuse for his angry outburst. What was that? Perhaps he was saying to himself, I'm doing this 
for God's glory. But when you look at Samson, he was actually doing it for his glory. It's because of his personal gain and because of his personal anger that he did what he did. This is why we need to make a distinction between godly zeal and ungodly anger. It's unfortunate because when people establish religious organizations and they build up a brotherhood, sometimes they can develop what is called pack mentality. And so when there's an out, when a person who's outside the group becomes a threat against their group, what do they do? Well, they decide to work together and act with hostility against the outside threat. And sometimes when people do this, they use the name of religion as a way to act out their personal anger. And so they use the name of God as a way to express their own personal ungodly anger. This is why sometimes religious organizations, this is why sometimes religious groups can be very dangerous because they can use the cloak of religion to disguise their intent of ungodly anger and manifesting that. So we need to be careful. We need to identify, is this what God really wants me to do? Because if it's God's intent to do what we want to do, then go ahead and do it. But we need to make sure and discern the difference between godly zeal and ungodly personal anger. And so this is what happened to Samson. Samson was basically out in, was acting out of his own personal anger. And so because of this, he found himself becoming a loner. He had to go into the cave at Etan. Uh, but of course, the Philistines will not give up. There's going to always be a back and forth. It's just the nature of violence. When you act in violence, there's always going to be more violence to come. And so what happens after this? J uh, Judges 15, 9 to 10, the Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah. Remember, the Philistines were oppressing uh, the people of Israel. And they had more power on their side. And they decide the way we're going to destroy Samson is by going to his place. They went to camp, they set up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Lehi. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. And so the Philistines, they go to the territory of the Israelites and they demand for Samson. And so the Israelites, the brethren of Samson, what do they decide to do? Let's read verse 11. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson at the cave in the rock of Etam. They said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. And so what? how does Israel respond? How did the tribe of Judah respond to the Philistine demand? They cowered to the Philistine demand. You know, during the days of Samson, I think it was only one, this is the only time where it mentions the people of Israel forming an army, 3,000 3, strong army, right? They form an army of 3,000 men, 
but instead of using that army to fight against the Philistines, what did they use that army for? To go get Samson, right? And so what did they say to Samson? They say, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? In other words, they were basically kind of upset with Samson because he was rocking the boat. Although the Philistines ruled over them, they got used to it. They got used to the spiritual darkness. They preferred the status quo than to go fight against the Philistines. And it's so easy for people like you and I to be so satisfied, to be content with the status quo. We no longer want to learn more about the beloved God. It's the same thing during the days of Samson. The people of God did not want to worship God anymore. They were satisfied with the status quo. And so they approached Samson and say to Samson, look at what you have done. And it's ironic, you know, when someone stands up for evil, people are angrier at the one who stood up to the evil than they are angry at the evil itself. You notice that? When somebody stands up against if a foe, somebody stands up against someone is doing wrong, instead of standing up together with that one person, what do they do? They agree with the one who has more power instead of agreeing to fight against what is wrong. And it's just human nature. We see that pattern repeated again and again and again. It happened then. It is also happening now. And so what does Samson decide to do? But the men of Judah told him, we have come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right, Samson said, but promise that you won't kill me yourselves. We will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. I replied, we won't kill you. So they tied him up uh, with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And so Samson, the thing that we admire about Samson is that he loves his brethren. He loves uh, the Israelites. And so Samson could have easily escaped here, right? I mean, these are 3,000 people, but they are Hebrews. He could have easily escaped. But if he were to escape, what would happen to these 3,000 men? They probably would be killed by the Philistines. He doesn't want that to happen. And so he surrenders himself. He knows that he can overcome the ropes that binds him and overcome the Philistines. So he allows himself to be tied up and to be delivered to the Philistines. And so when the Philistines heard word that they were going to receive Samson as a prisoner, what did they do? Let's read. As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. But the spirit of Yahuwah came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed 1,000 Philistines with it. And so what happened? As Samson was to be delivered to the Philistines, the Philistines were shouting in triumph, but their triumphant shouting would be short-lived because then the spirit of Yahuwah comes upon Samson. And Samson possessed supernatural strength. And so something I want you to understand about the strength of Samson. The strength of Samson comes not from himself. It comes from the spirit of 
Yahuwah. And so if there's no spirit of Yahuwah, he has only the strength of human beings. But because the spirit of Yahuwah is upon him, he can do what normal human beings cannot. In other words, because of the supernatural strength that comes from the spirit of Yahuwah, he, can, he is able to perform exploits of great strength and power, like what he was able to do here. Not only was he able to break himself free from the binds that hold him rather easily, he was able to kill 1,000 Philistines all by himself with just the jawbone of a donkey. And so this was a heroic exploit, one of the reasons why many people turn to the story of Samson. This is why many people are fascinated by the story of Samson because of his supernatural feats. And one thing that makes Samson unique and different from the other judges is the fact that Samson was a one-man army. I mean, the other judges, what did they do? They mobilized the people of Israel to form an army. Samson did not do that. He was a one-man army. Okay, This is what made him very different, what made him unique. And so you saw the potential of Samson because of the strength that was given him through the spirit of Yahuwah. After defeating the Philistines, what does Samson do? Let's read uh, Judges 15, 16, and 17. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. When he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was named Jawbone Hill. So what do you notice about Samson here? After he defeated the uh, Philistines, instead of giving praise to Yahuwah, he praises himself. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Right? I mean, you can already see in the life of Samson, the three categories of temptation was fulfilled in his life. Or it was the three categories of temptation is basically what governed and what motivated his life. Do you remember the three categories of temptation? Number one, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We can see that in Samson, even in great victory. And so he is victorious. He's able to defeat these mighty Philistines all by himself. Then all of a sudden, Yahuwah finds a way to humble him. What happens? Uh, next verse, Samson was now very thirsty. <laughs> and he cried out to Yahuwah, you have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? And so something happens after he has this triumph, this victory of strength. He finds himself with no water to drink. No matter where he goes, he could not find water to drink. And because of the sun bearing down upon him, he probably felt he was going to die. And so he had all this power to conquer an army all by himself. But because he could not find water, that was enough to humble him. And so no matter how strong we are, beloved brethren, we should never think that we cannot, we do not need God. And so Yahuwah humbled him because he could not find water. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, during the days of Israel, and they were wondering how many times did they complain about no water to drink? A couple of times. Right? 
And so it's a way of humbling us and testing us. So he's testing Samson here. It's a good thing he prayed. In his humility, he goes to Yahuwah and he prays. Now he says, the victory was accomplished through Yahuwah. And so he was humbled and he gave praise to Yahuwah. And he also asked the father for water. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? So how does God respond? 19, so God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi. And Samson was revived as he drank. Then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out. And it is still in Lehi to this day. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. So God responds to his prayer. And this tells us much about the character of our father, of, of our God. It's, you know, Yahuwah God called Samson to do a specific work. And whenever he calls us to do a specific work, he's always going to provide for our needs, even when we are faithless. And so that's something we need to remember about what his name means. The name of God, Yahuwah, means many things. It expresses the character of who he is. And one of the things that I am who I am exudes is the fact that he remains by our side even when we don't deserve it. He is faithful when we are faithless. Okay, That's what I am who I am exudes. It communicates that idea. And this is confirmed in Exodus uh, 33 when Yahuwah gave the meaning of his name it is about faithfulness so yahuwah god is someone we can count on even when we fail when we repent and go to him yes we fail and samson failed many times we too will fail however when we call and cry upon the name of yahuwah he will, he will remember that he is faithful he is faithful even when we are faithless sometimes so that's samson so far Right? And uh, so far, so good. <laughs> but what happens? Well, because he's a man of passion, a man who does whatever he wants, what does he decide to do? Judges 16, 1 and 2. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Boy, word soon spread that Samson was there, so the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we will kill him. And so here's Samson, because of his lust of the flesh, what does he do? He decides to go to the Philistine town of Gaza. I mean, of all the places, he went to the Philistine town of Gaza, where there are Philistines who don't like him, who want him dead. He goes there, right? Because he feels invisible. You know, when young people have this feeling of invincibility, this is why they're risk takers. When you get older, you no longer take so much risk. But when you're young, you have this feeling of invis invincibility. That nothing wrong can happen, right? This is why they go on thrill rides. They ride motorcycles, so on and so forth. Because they, they, they believe, because they're young, if they're invincible. I mean, Samson, he felt invincible, and rightly so, because of what he can do physically, right? He can do everything he wants. 
And so with that strength, he felt he is he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. And so he goes to the Philistine town of Gaza and finds a prostitute, spends a, the night with that prostitute. Word got around that he was there. And so the, the Philistines found an opportunity to kill Samson. And so they were going to ambush him when he comes, when he leaves in the morning. They were going to plan to kill him. And so what does what happens to Samson? Verse 3, but Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them to all and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. So what does Samson do? Samson does something which is incredible, an incredible feat of strength. He takes the town gate. And he lifts it up and carries it all the way across from Hebron. I mean, that's like superhuman strength. That's like superhero type strength. He was able to do that. But more importantly of what this means. You see, back in biblical times, the city gate was not only a symbol of protection, or not only was it used for protection, it was also where the officials met to transact business. And so what would happen, even when it comes to the people of Israel, it was at the gate where the elders kind of hang out, or that's where they were. And so if there was a dispute between Israelites, they would go to the city gate. The city gate is the place where the city is protected. Without the city gate, you're defenseless. And so when Samson destroyed the city gate, it was a metaphor that he destroyed the Philistines. That's why he did that. And so we know he had superhuman strength despite his sin, which is kind of mind-boggling and very mysterious, right? But we need to understand God did not leave Samson because God's purpose was bigger than Samson himself. And because God used Samson despite Samson's sin, not because of it. But remember, as we conclude this study, the sins that Samson did not repent of, eventually it's going to come back to him. Eventually, he's going to reap. He thinks he's getting away with sin. And that's what makes sin so devious, so deceptive, right? Because he's wondering, okay, he commits this sin. He goes to a prostitute. Because that's a sin. He goes to a prostitute. And then he performs a superhuman strength. And so what does he say to himself? Oh, it's okay to do that. I still have my strength, right? And so we need to kind of understand what we need to see a higher perspective. How would all this come to play at the end or during the life of Samson? That's what we're going to find out. And so after this victory, um, what is the next foolish decision that Samson makes? Let's read uh, Judges 16, 45. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. I think this is the famous uh, Delilah. When we think of Samson, we also think of Delilah, right? Who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 
pieces of silver. So here's Delilah. Samson falls in love with her. It turns out Delilah, although she was a Philistine, it could be possible that she probably was one of the temple prostitutes because of the name Delilah, which is a Semitic name, which means devotee. But the Philistines decide to use her to entice Samson to divulge or to reveal the secret of what makes him so strong. Now, this kind of gives us a clue about what Samson may have looked like. We all know Samson has strength, right? But his strength is not from human strength. His strength is from the power of Yahuwah. It's not human in origin. It's from up there. And so when you look at Samson, when we, when we imagine how he looks like, we imagine him to be this figure. But if this was his figure, and he was like bulking in muscle, right? Why would you ask, what's the secret of his strength? You probably will conclude, oh, because he's built like a tank. He must be really strong. But if he's built like this, like an ordinary guy, then you're going to ask, what is the secret of his strength? This is why there are some who believe that Samson was not muscular. He was just a regular looking guy. But it could also be that he was muscular. <laughs> so we don't really know. It doesn't really matter, right? Because the point is, the strength of Samson comes from who? Yahuwah, the spirit of Yahuwah. It doesn't come from his muscles. It doesn't come from his body. It comes from the spirit of Yahuwah. And so Delilah is given the task of, okay, what, what is the secret of his strength? And so what does Delilah do? Let's read uh, Judges 16, 8 down to 9. So Delilah said to Samson, uh, 6 to 7. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. Samson replied, if I were tied up with, a seven, with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. And so here's Delilah. He wants to know the secret of his strength and how he can be overpowered. And so Delilah, with her beautiful eyes, <laughs> right, probably kind of tries to seduce seduces Samson. Please tell me what makes you so strong. I can't do the voice, <laughs> right? So she's with a seductive voice trying to convince him to divulge his secret. And so here's Samson. He has a good sense of humor, right? What does he say? He says, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings, then I will be overpowered. I'll be as weak as anyone else. And so what happened after this? So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson, Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in some of the inner rooms of her house, and she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And so if you are Samson, Right, and this Delilah, who you are seeing after you divulge your secret, 
and then she ties you up like that, you're going to be thinking twice, right? Maybe she's working together with the Philistines. It looks like the Philistines, once they saw that Samson snapped the bowstrings, they probably remained hidden. Otherwise, their whole conspiracy would be divulged. And so they failed to discover the secret of Samson. But of course, Delilah will not give up. And so what happens next? Afterward, Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now, please tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, if I were tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So here's Delilah feeling enthusiastic. What does she do? Well, so Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them. The men were hiding in the inner room as before. And again, Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, Samson snapped the ropes from his arms as if they were thread. And so again, Delilah fails. But Delilah does not give up. Then Delilah said, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. Samson replied, if you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric of your loom and tighten it with the loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. So while, she, while he slept, Delilah wove the seven braids of his hair into the fabric. That's kind of odd. Right? Then uh, she tightened it with the loom shuttle. Again, she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson woke up pulled back the loom shuttle and yanked his hair away from the loom and the fabric. And so the third time Delilah asked for the secret of the strength, it's getting a little closer, right? Because now Samson talks about the braids of his hair. It's kind of pretty close to the truth, right? You see how Delilah is getting closer and closer? And so now Samson says, if you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom, tighten it, then I would become weak as anyone else. And so here's a picture, this picture of Samson, the loom, and the hair is to be woven into the fabric. This is what she does. And then she cries out, Samson, the Philistines are out to get you. And Samson comes out and removes his hair from the loom, right? And so it doesn't work. And so Samson, despite what was happening, still doesn't get it. He still doesn't think and see that Delilah is working for the Philistines. You see, that's what happens when you are in love. <laughs> what is that called? Love is blind what's causing the blindness warped thinking you know when a person is in some ungodly relationship it warps their thinking so that they will not be able to see and discern this is what happened to samson and because samson often lived according to his flesh instead of using his mind and his spirit he was not able to see through it and so what does Delilah do? Let's read 15 and 16. And Delilah pouted, how can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? 
You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. And so here's Samson. What do you notice about Samson? He keeps going back to see who? Delilah. She keeps going back. He keeps going back day after day after day. And so what usually happens when a person is living in sin is they find excuses to live in sin. Like Samson. He knows what he's doing is wrong. And he doesn't see the problem and the danger of what he's doing. And that's what usually happens when a person lives in sin. Sin deceives. And one of the ways sin deceives is it prevents us from seeing the danger of sin. And so this was the situation with Samson. And eventually, he kind of, eventually after days and days of tor uh, tormenting and nagging, Samson finally gives in. And finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. And so this time he tells her the truth. He's a Nazarite. And because of the Nazarite vow, he was consecrated to God. And a symbol of his consecration to God was his hair that kind of represented the crown. And so, so long as he had that hair, he had the crown that represented he was set apart by God. And so he was the instrument of God. But if you take away that crown, you take away God's fellowship. You take away God's strength and power that was in Samson. And so Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers, come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down. And his strength left him. And so the fourth time was the charm. Delilah, through, his, through her seduction, her nagging, and her tormenting, causes Samson to fall. What caused the fall of Samson? It was his lack of discernment. Because he was following the dictates of his flesh instead of what the right thing to do is. And so the, heads, the head of Samson was shaven. And then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize who left him. Yahuwah left him this time. Yahuwah left him. And so the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. Took, it, took his eyes out. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. And so the Philistines finally overpowered Samson because he lost 
is here. And in doing so, the Nazarite vow is completely broken. And so Yahuwah leaves him. He no longer has the power of Yahuwah. So he's just a normal human being. They gouge out his eyes. And he was imprisoned with bronze chains and forced to grind uh, to grind grain in the prison. Then his hair begins to grow back. I think the Philistines, you know, if I were the Philistines, I'd make sure every day he'd get shaven. <laughs> I don't know what the Philistines were thinking. I mean, if they figure out the source of the strength, according to uh, to them, right, they think it's the hair, they probably would shave him every day. <laughs> but it's probably a sign of hope. Anyways, we know that it's but fitting that this is what happened to Samson. Because on the outside, he was strong and free, but on the inside, he was blind and enslaved. So who he was on the inside eventually became who he was on the outside. Inside, he was blind and enslaved. And so eventually, externally, that's, who he, that's what happened to him. His eyes were blinded, and he was imprisoned. Okay. Um, but what happened after this? Let's read 23-24. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. Now, Dagon happens to be supposedly the father of Baal. And so this Dagon, uh, false god, was highly revered, very powerful. They said, our god has given us victory over our enemy Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, our god has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our Power. And so we know that God's name is being blasphemed because of Samson. Instead of Samson, who worshipped the true God, overpowering the Philistines, he was now imprisoned by the Philistines. And so God's name is being blasphemed here. And so the Philistines, because of this victory and because they were gloating and boasting about their God, what did they decide to, to, to do? Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. And so Samson became like a pet, a source of entertainment. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had them stand between the pillars supporting the roof. And so in the temple of the Philistines, there was the upper part supported by pillars, and the other part, all the great men, uh, the leaders, um, the elders of the Philistines, that's where they were. And so there were pillars there. And so that the, Samson can provide entertainment, he was summoned by the people. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now, the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there. And there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. And so Samson was led by a young servant, probably a boy. He had to be led because he was blind. And so to think, um, you know, that Samson was placed in such a low position that even a boy and basically kind of uh, overpower him now. And so this probably tells us that Samson did not have his physical strength yet, right? Because if he did, even though his hair kind of grew back, he would have broken through his prison. 
And so this tells us it wasn't the hair that gave him strength. The fact that his hair grew again perhaps gave him hope, but it did not give back his strength because it was not the hair that gave him the strength. It was the spirit of Yahuwah. So here's Samson, and he's brought to the pillars at his request. And at the top of the pillars was where all the rulers were, 3,000 people. And while he was by the pillars, he prays. And you don't often get that from Samson. He's not really the type who prays. I mean, even when he prayed for water, it was more like a demand, right? Am I just going to die here? <laughs> that was his prayer. But take a look at what happens to Samson. Then Samson prayed to Yahuwah, sovereign Yahuwah. You notice the praise. Sovereign Yahuwah. Remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. So he prays. This time he praises Yahuwah. And this time he asks Yahuwah to remember him. And this time he says, please strengthen me just one more time. And then what does Samson do? And Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. And so when Samson was between the two pillars, he knew if he were to push outward against the pillars, causing it, the, uh, the roof to collapse, it would destroy many Philistines, but it would also mean he would be killed. And so what we need to see here about Samson and his growth is when he said, let me die with the Philistines. At last, for once in his life, he was no longer thinking about himself. At this point, we can see that he was kind of sacrificing himself, right? Because he's willing to die for the sake of his calling. Remember, what was his calling? To defeat the Philistines. And so if he were to sacrifice himself here, it would produce the purpose of his calling, which is to kill the Philistines. And so this needed him for him, for him to sacrifice himself. And so at that point in his life, for the first time in his life, he became selfless. But he had to be broken to understand selflessness. He had to be broken to become a useful instrument of Yahuwah. And so in that one act, what happened to the Philistines? Many of them, 3,000, more than 3,000 of them were killed. And he was able to do more damage at his death than he was able to do while he was alive. That's because when he was alive, he disregarded the Nazarite vow. He disregarded Yahuwah. He disregarded his parents. He disregarded the word of God. But in his death, he basically sacrificed himself to do what pleases God, to do what he wanted all along. And so Yahuwah gave him the strength. And after that, Samson becomes a hero of faith. After all the things that he did wrong, Yahuwah makes him a hero. 
of faith. And that's how Yahuwah deals with us. We commit sin, we learn from our sin, we repent, but at the end, he looks at what we were able to do that was according to faith. And so Yahuwah makes Samson as one of those who are considered heroes of faith in the book of Hebrews. And after his death, later his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaal, for his father Manoah was buried. Some, Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. So Samson was considered a hero, even though his life wasn't the hero type. If he was considered a hero, he was a tragic hero because of all of his faults. But Yahuwah used him despite of his faults, despite of his sin, because of his faithfulness. And because of his compassion, Yahuwah restores his strength to fulfill his bigger purpose in life. And so he was a tragic hero. And what made uh, the tragedy even more emphatic is the fact that it was a tragic story of wasted potential. Because he had so much potential. He could have done so much more for the people of Israel, but he wasted all of his potential. He wasted the strength that God had given him. This is why when we study Samson and Delilah, when we study the life of Samson, we need to learn lessons from it, right? And I want to share with you a book written by Mark Atterbury. It's called The Samson Syndrome. What you can learn from the baddest boy in the Bible. <laughs> like the baddest boy in the Bible. What can you learn from him? And so in his book, he gave 12, 12 tendencies of men, but I think even women kind of suffer, kind of have these tendencies as well. And here they are, something to learn from, the Samson syndrome. So let us do our best not to practice these things. Number one, disregard for boundaries. Samson had no regard for boundaries whatsoever. He went wherever he wanted to go. He did whatever he wanted to do. Number two, struggle with lust. Number three, ignoring good advice. His own parents gave him good advice, but he rejected the advice of his parents. The tendency to break rules, he didn't like rules. Overestimation of cleverness, using anger as a tool, repeating the same mistakes. I mean, how many times did he fall for a woman? Three times, right? At least in rec on record, it's probable that he was involved with more than just three women. But we know the one he would... He, the one from Timneh, you should have married. The one at Gaza, the prostitute. And the one that causes downfall, Delilah, right? So he kept repeating the same mistakes. I mean, how many times did Delilah try to capture him? But he did not know it. So he kept repeating the same mistakes. He had a big ego. Because of his big ego, he went to the carcass to get the honey. <laughs> he was taking foolish risks. He struggled with intimacy, talking too much, uh, take, uh, taking too much for granted. He took his calling and his strength for granted and losing sight of the big picture. He did not see the purpose of his calling. For him, it was about personal glory, personal fame. It wasn't about Israel. It wasn't about worshiping and glorifying Yahuwah. So that's the Samson syndrome. And this is what caused his downfall. It wasn't just one thing, but many things. 
that caused the fall of a super judge. And so we need to avoid these things if we want to make the most of our potential. And when you look at all of this, it's basically the devil using as his temptation the things of the world. Because all of these things are manifestations of what Apostle John warned about, warned us about, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Samson loved the world. He loved cavorting with the Philistines. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away from the lust of it. That's what happened to Samson. Because he catered to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride that he so wanted for himself. He passed. He passed. And so it's something that we need to always keep in mind. And why was Samson, when he was given all this privilege and honor, as a Nazarite set apart by Yahuwah God, why was he so emboldened to live a, to live an indulgent and sinful life? Well, I think it's because of the fact that he was a Nazarite. And so for him, being a Nazarite was like a badge that gave him the license to, to do whatever he wanted. I'm a Nazarite, so I'll go ahead and do whatever I want. And there are many people who think like that. They belong to an organization. They believe the organization will be saved. So long as I'm a member of this organization, I can do whatever I want. I'm good. This is what Samson believed, perhaps. He wore the label. He had the name tag, right? He has a name tag of Nazarite. Therefore, I'm safe. I can commit as many sins as I want. So long as I'm a Nazarite, God is with me. And because of that thinking, he wasted, he wasted his potential. And when we think of the story of Samson, and when we look at the stories of many people today, perhaps even ourselves, often what we discover is a lot of our potential is wasted because of a weak spirit. I mean, how many people do you know who are gifted athletes, but because of a weak spirit, they were not disciplined to practice and practice and practice so they don't become what they could have become, like a professional basketball player. Or maybe they were talented in music, but because they had a weak spirit, although they had talent, they wasted the talent because instead of practicing and practicing, what did they do? They wasted their life. Or maybe they were gifted with intelligence. They were naturally smart, but instead of studying and preparing for their future, what did they do? They wasted their life. They had these talents, but they had a weak spirit. And so what happened to the potential? It was wasted. We call that tragedy. And there are many people today who live tragic lives because they waste the potential. All of us have potential in some area. Let us make use of that potential by developing a strong spirit. And so Samson was physically strong, but he was weak in spirit. The Bible tells us whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. In Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So what's more important than physical strength? What's more important than physical gifts? Is cultivating developing 
the ability to rule our spirit. It's called self-control, self-discipline. Apostle Paul said, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Wonderful things happen when you combine potential with discipline. When you combine potential with discipline, the result is greatness. We do great things for God. But if we combine potential with a weak spirit or a lack of self-discipline, we waste that potential. The result is a great tragedy. Let us not waste our potential. And so what should we learn in the story of Samson? There are many things we can learn. But I think this is what we need, what we can truly, truly apply daily in our life. In the final passage of our studies today, in Galatians 6, 7 down to 9, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Beloved brethren, this passage is so beautiful. And it gives us the two facets of our daily decisions and daily choices. Every day we make a choice in our life, right? And every choice we make matters. But sometimes the choices that we make today doesn't result in something immediately. Sometimes we have to wait longer before we see the results. It's like planting. When you have a plot of land and you plant the seed, it doesn't mean the following day you see the growth, right? Sometimes you plant the seed, you water it, you nurture it, you water it, you nurture it, you wait for days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, until you see the result. And so we need to be patient when it comes to what we eventually harvest after we plant. So planting and reaping is something God has placed in reality. This is why the Bible says God cannot be mocked. Don't deceive yourself. Sometimes people deceive, deceive themselves when they say, you know, I committed this sin. Nothing bad happened to me. <laughs> and so what do they do? Oh, Yahuwah, God approves it. God approves it because I'm committing this sin. I'm living in this relationship that is not good. I'm stealing. I'm living a life of a crime and adultery. And nothing bad is happening to me. Nothing bad is happening to my family. And so what do they conclude? They deceive themselves into thinking it's okay. God approves. But the Bible says God cannot be mocked. And he tells us what you sow is what you're going to reap. But when the reaping comes, it doesn't come immediately. That's the thing. And with Samson, when he was given all the strength, and he was committing sin, but his strength was still there. What was he thinking? Oh, God approves of my sinful lifestyle. But he doesn't realize all of that. He eventually will reap. Every day we have two choices. What are those two choices? We can live our day choosing to do what uh, pleases the sinful nature or our flesh. Or we can choose to plant and to make choices that will that will please the spirit. It's up to us. 
And so every day we plant something. Either we plant for our sinful nature or we plant for the, for the things of the spirit. Eventually, we're going to harvest it. If we plant, the, uh, if we sow or to plant in, to please our sinful nature, what are we going to reap? Death and destruction. But if we choose to plant or to sow from the spirit, in other words, we do and make choices that please Yahuwah and Yahusha, what do we reap? Eternal life. So don't become weary in doing what is good. And so this is a life of self-control. We don't plant in the field of sinful nature. We plant in the field of the spirit. Every day choose to plant in the field of the spirit. Because one day we're going to reap eternal life. When? At the proper time. And that's the key when it comes to living our life. We wish, you know, that we can receive immediate feedback of what we're doing. It's not what happens. Eventually, everything we do is going to catch up to us. And I would prefer that what catches up to us is the good and the blessing of Yahuwah. You don't want destruction catching up to you. That's what happened to Samson. What you want is the blessing of Yahuwah to catch up to you, right? And so let us learn to practice planting in the field of our, in the field of the spirit, the field of pleasing Yahuwah. That is our lesson. Let us now stand for our prayer. Most holy and gracious Abba Yahuwah, thank you so much for the blessings that we have received. Thank you for giving us our calling. We believe that because we are your sons and daughters, we are to behave according to a certain standard. That is one that is characterized by love, forgiveness, and compassion, living a life according to your spirit, not according to our flesh. Help us, Father, to live wisely, choosing you over all things. Yet as human beings, we still have the body that we are in, which sometimes causes us to live according to its sinful nature. Help us to overcome that, Father. We know that you are compassionate. We know that you are faithful. And even though we fail and falter because of who you are, we know we can be forgiven. We know that you will never leave us. Praises be unto you, Abba. Help us so that the gift of fellowship that you have called us to receive may result in a life that truly is pleasing to you. Our King Yahushua, may you please be with us. We know the devil will do his best to look for our weaknesses because we have many weaknesses. May you be by our side so that no matter what he tries to do, we will remain standing. We will remain by your side, overcoming his whims, overcoming his temptations. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. May you bless your people throughout the world. May you heal us of all our sicknesses. And may you continue to grant us the things that we need in our life. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.